You're listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. We were crazy. People wrote us off. We were imagining things and making it all up. Not everything is communism, Garrett. All the same. It turns out we were right, and the transgender activists are admitting it now. Not to be reports on Kate Gabriel, faculty member at New York University, explaining that the transgender revolution is actually about instituting communism. Far from frustrated, I find the honesty refreshing, and this makes intuitive sense. The premise of the LGBTQ movement is diversity, equity, and inclusivity, but full realization of DEI requires a radical redistribution of wealth and power. It may have started with pride flags and parades and marriage equality, but the bright colors and glitter masked a deeper purpose, which many of us stubbornly ignored. Feminism in the 20th century demanded that women be given everything men had, and if there was anything whatsoever which men had which women were told they could not have, this was called cruelty and oppression. But before the things of men could be given to women, they first had to be taken away from men in some measure. What followed gender being a social construct where feminism was concerned was a demand for equal affirmation of homosexual romance as for heterosexual romance. Here again, what was to be given to homosexuality required first taking something special away from heterosexuality. Just so in our day, equal affirmation for transgenderism as for binary gender requires taking away special honor and dignity formerly awarded to native, authentic, and inborn expressions of masculinity and femininity. Now that women's sports records are being broken with regularity by transgendered men who identify as women, we are seeing that men and women are indeed very different and also that the ever-evolving moral insanity is content to sacrifice scholarships and trophies for hard-working girls in favor of affirming the new orthodoxy. Nothing is so sacred to us as our desire for self-preservation against the onslaught of woke ascendancy. The plain truth is that you cannot affirm men who identify as women without taking some measure of affirmation away from actual women. And you cannot affirm homosexual couples as equal to heterosexual couples without taking some measure of specialness away from heterosexual couples. But those more abstract forms of wealth and power redistribution are increasingly giving way to more concrete expressions of communism. As exhibit A, B, and C, I give you fines, boycotts, and the termination of employment and business contracts predicated on dubious charges of hate speech for daring to talk some damned sense in this space. When financial and social penalties and rewards are now contingent on embracing or rejecting a meaningful moral and spiritual distinction between maleness and femaleness or between heterosexual marriage and gay marriage or between transgenderism and cisgenderism, we are not far off from naked communism. And with LGBTQ theory in the ascendant position where the enactment and enforcement of legal and corporate policies are concerned, the mask is being taken off as its usefulness and necessity wears off. As with naked communism, 
The big idea is embracing envy and discontentedness over what our neighbor has instead of thankfulness to God for what he has given us. We see what our neighbor has and we want that. Or at least we want our neighbor to have nothing special which we do not have and cannot have. Suppose we don't feel as masculine or feminine as our neighbor, for instance. If we resent their being celebrated, perhaps we endeavor to abolish gender as a social construct. Or, if possible, we seek to confiscate and redistribute the accolades which formerly went to exceptional specimens of manliness or womanliness. K. Gabriel is right. It really does come down to communism in the end. Nothing is sacred. Nothing belongs to anyone. Everything belongs to the community, and community values must eclipse and dominate all private privilege. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, or the one. Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. I am, of course, Garrett Ashley Mullet, coming to you from Greeley, Colorado, for episode 279 of this podcast. Today is Friday, December 17th, 2021. And I just read for you at the top of this episode the write-up on WordPress for our last episode from yesterday, Cross-Dressing Communism. Go back and check it out if you missed it. But today I want to talk about some things which touch on this and build on the analysis, which is long-standing, long-running, of the situation that we find ourselves in. There is a kind of squeamishness that I have about writing these things, knowing that I may be jeopardizing my career, my reputation, my social standing, and yet there's an even greater squeamishness that I feel about being silent in the face of this insanity. I love my family and my friends And I love the Lord God, moreover. And could I lose far more by being silent and passive in the face of these things instead of engaging them bravely? I believe so, and that's why I'm engaging on these things. So come what may, if my reputation and my career could be destroyed by daring to express an independent view on this, an independent thought, well then, maybe I've already lost it. If it's not so solid as that, then what's it worth anyway? Don't fear a man who can only kill the body and then has nothing more that he can do to you. Fear God, who can kill the body and throw the soul into hell. We should fear God. That's the beginning of wisdom and understanding. We really, really need wisdom and understanding. So let's start there and let's proceed. But the main topic I want to talk about in the time that we have for this episode is an article I had heard about earlier this week and hadn't had a chance to read just yet. And my neighbor two houses down, J.P. Chavez, sent it to me this morning. This is an article by Kaven Schroff. Men like me benefit from safe abortion access. Commentary at wbur.org. Cognoscenti is the subheading, subcategory for this article. 
And I'll just read for you some of it. Maybe we'll get through all of it. We'll see how it goes. We'll check it out, starting from the top. Kevin Schroff writes, This May, I'll graduate from law school and start my career as a public interest lawyer, a dream come true. At 28, after 10 years of college and multiple graduate schools, in many ways, it feels like my life is just about to begin. It would be a terrible time to have a baby. Don't get me wrong, I've always wanted to have kids. I love the relationship I have with my parents and can't imagine not getting to experience fatherhood. I think I'd be good at it. That said, I'm not in a relationship. I haven't built a nest egg. And frankly, after two years of a global pandemic, I want to eke out and enjoy every last minute of my 20s. In too many ways, I'm unsettled. We often talk about the ways access to birth control and safe abortion empowers women, and it does. I believe that access to safe abortion is a basic human right. On a human and policy level, it's infuriating to watch a partisan Supreme Court erode and threaten to eliminate that right. Women's bodily autonomy should not be up for debate. But men like me have also long been the direct beneficiaries of safe abortion access. Giving women the choice not to carry unwanted pregnancies often means we too can delay parenthood until we are ready. Since I've spent 10 years of the past 11 years as a student, most of the women I've had sex with were also students, also progressive, and also not at a point in their lives where they were looking or ready to have children. I try to share responsibility for birth control, and if a woman tells me she's on it, I also trust that. If she still got pregnant, however, though entirely her decision, I assume we would both want the same thing, an abortion. In longer-term relationships, we've had explicit discussions about this. It is the duty of both sexual partners to be proactive about safe sex, but in reality, too often, this burden falls disproportionately on women. Admittedly, I've often relied on my female sexual partners to protect me from unwanted pregnancy. During my NBA, I recall panicking in an Uber to the train station after hanging out with a medical student I had met on Tinder and had seen a few times. She had a latex allergy. We didn't use our best judgment. Then I got her text. She had decided to take plan B as an extra precaution. I was relieved. Okay, I'm going to stop right here. Let's just pause. Pause the 28-year-old, self-absorbed man-child, perpetual, perpetual uh, adolescent. It's all I, 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 me, 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 me. And then if there's going to be a cost involved, did you notice that? If you analyze this a little bit, Whenever there's going to be some responsibility to take instead of just benefits to enjoy, then he uses the we. It's we. It's we when he has some use for a woman to entertain himself for however long that lasts, probably short term, but also possibly longer term, as he says, longer term relationships. What is longer term? How, how long is longer term, sir? May I ask, young man, longer term. It's funny that you don't specify to me. Did, I, 
I've been married for 15 years. And before that, I dated one girl. I was interested in a few girls, and there were a few girls who were interested in me, but I didn't go out with anybody other than one girl before my wife. And that one girl, we parted ways equitably enough, politely enough that she ended up being in our wedding party. And it was fine because she was a friend of my now wife, then girlfriend, then fiance. But longer term in my situation is 15 years. I've been married for 15 years. I'm seven years older than the uh, guy here writing this article. And I am planning to ride this out for the rest of my life. This is that that's what marriage is. That's what God's intention was. I'm convinced. I'm persuaded. That's longer term. Longer term is life. How's that? And if I get hit by a bus tomorrow, well then that's the end of it, right? And if I live to be 85, 90, 100 years old, well then that's longer term, right? Longer term is however long I live. But I'm reading your article here, Mr. Schroff, if I can presume to call you Mr. I'm reading your article here, and it's all about you. It's all me, 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 I, 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 until you're talking about sex and having a baby potentially come out of having sex with women you're not committed to. And you're now announcing to everybody, you think it is just downright wrong that women don't get this body autonomy that you think they should if the Supreme Court rules that an unborn child has some rights. Imagine that. Imagine that. You fool around and have fun because it's all about you and you're a child, a self-absorbed, petulant child. You fool around and get a girl pregnant. And then you expect that, I mean, well, it's, it's her decision, of course, right? But I assume she's going to want what I want. Of course you assume that. Of course you assume that. And you're apoplectic at the thought that abortion being illegal, in other words, murdering your unborn child would be illegal might mean you would have some responsibility for somebody besides just yourself. God forbid you should have responsibility for the children who result from your unions with whoever's willing. A coalition of the willing women, progressive-minded women you associate with. God forbid you should have a responsibility to those children. How many abortions have women had to get in connection with you? How many of your children, Mr. Schroff, how many of your children have been murdered with the encouragement and approval of you? Well, it's the woman's choice, of course. Of course. But where I'm going to enter into this discussion is really hoping that not only 
does she make that choice, but that she continues to have legal protection when she makes that choice. He's unsettled. Oh yeah, you're, in, you're unsettled at the thought that you might not be able to just fool around without consequences anymore. Consequences for you. You're content for the woman to have consequences. Now she's got to get an abortion as you see it, as you hope. And you're okay with the unborn child having consequences, namely being murdered brutally in the womb. You're okay with your child being murdered so long as you get to keep pleasing yourself and pursuing your career. I don't wish you ill, but I do warn you. There's a God in heaven who sees, who knows, and there are consequences coming for you too. You have innocent blood on your hands if you've encouraged young women to murder their own children. You have blood on your hands. You have innocent blood on your hands. Fear God. But I look at this, and I, I'm not even very far into the article, and I've lost count of references to I and me. Where the woman comes in is giving him a good time. For a good time, call. Or go on Tinder, apparently. And once she has served her purpose, she had better not intrude. Or if she does, well, that's her choice, right? So long as I put this on the woman and say this is her choice, it's her choice whether she gets an abortion or not, so long as I put it on her, well, then I can try to sneak away and off to some other pretty young thing and back to my career, and back to living it up and partying and being self-absorbed. And hopefully she won't expect anything from me in terms of bearing financial responsibility for a child I don't want, having to invest my time, my energy. See, that's the, that is the unspoken admission. When you say you can't be bothered right now because you're working on your career, what you're also saying is you really don't want to invest in your own child. You get girls pregnant and you don't want to take responsibility for your children. You'd like to experience fatherhood someday. You experienced it, it sounds like. And it also sounds like you've encouraged young women who you impregnated to terminate your children. That's you're, you're not expecting fatherhood maybe somewhere down the line. You've already been a father. You are a father. You're a father who's encouraged the mothers of his children to murder his children. That's the other side of the debate that's not even alluded to in this manipulative, self-absorbed, shallow treatment of the abortion debate. What rights does the child have? What expectations should a child have? And you say you have a great relationship with your parents. You'd love to be a father someday. You're missing it. What expectations should your children, supposing I'm correct in what I'm picking up here, what expectations should your children have had towards you that you would have protected them 
that you would have provided for them, that you would have loved them, that you would have cared for them, that you would have invested in them. And all of those expectations dashed with a lot of mealy-mouthed, self-congratulating, self-absorbed cruelty. The cost to your continued freedom was that you eliminated anybody else who would have made a demand of your time and your attention. You eliminated them, and you would like to keep on having them be disposable. You want the right, as you see it, to do evil. How can an evil thing like murder be a right? A woman's right to choose to murder her child? That's not a right. That's a wrong. A wrong can't be a right. And the laws of this land should not afford more protection to a would-be murderer than to their would-be victim. You're talking about two different people. Abortion is about at least two people. In your case, three, because you're cognizant. You're talking about a hypothetical scenario in which a girl gets pregnant by you, and you assume she's going to want the same thing you want, which is an abortion. There's actually three people involved at that point. You and the mother of your unborn child, and your unborn child. And that's what the other side of this abortion debate is concerned about. You want to make this about a woman's right, a woman's body. What about that unborn child's body? What about that unborn child's right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? They don't have any constitutional rights. They don't have any inalienable rights. No. All you can think about is what you want. But welcome to every villain's backstory. Every villain cares obsessively about what they want, what they didn't get, what they're still pursuing, how it's everybody else's fault, everybody else's responsibility to make sure that their plan, their ambitions are carried out exactly. And boy, howdy, better get out of their way. Nobody had better get in their way. Everybody else is expendable except for them. That is every villain's backstory. The hero, meanwhile, doesn't say, I'm 28 years old and I am not finished having fun yet. The heroes are the ones who say, this person needs me and I'm going to do what is required to come through for them some pregnant young thing who had the poor judgment to fool around with you and get pregnant and is now scared, doesn't need your mealy-mouthed, self-serving, irresponsible encouragement to go and terminate the pregnancy. What she needs is your protection, you stepping up to the plate. And here's a revolutionary idea. How about don't have sex with women you're not married to? Is that, a, is that a crazy idea? Oh, you don't need to bring religion into this. Well, okay. Have it your own way then. But there is a God in heaven. And he did come up with a really fantastic plan for marriage, for family. 28 years old. Like, what are you waiting for? What? What more do you want? 
You know, we watched A Christmas Carol last night with George C. Scott playing Ebenezer Scrooge. George C. Scott is a phenomenal actor, was a phenomenal actor. That version of A Christmas Carol, I think, is my favorite. There's plenty of good ones, but I think that one's my favorite. And there are these flashback scenes in Charles Dickens' story where Scrooge is taken back to when he was a young man, just a clerk and an apprentice for Mr. Fezziwig. And he had a young woman who he was interested in, who was interested in him, and he just couldn't take the time. He was too interested in his career, in chasing that money, chasing that dollar or pound, as the case may be. And so she ends up getting tired of waiting around for him forever. And he doesn't go after her. And there he is as an old man looking back at this back and forth between him and this woman that was interested in him once upon a time in his early 20s. And he realizes that he made the wrong choice. As an old man, a Scrooge, he says that the poor, unfortunate children should go ahead and hurry up and die and decrease the surplus population. He pays taxes. He shouldn't be bothered. You want me to donate to who? To what? Huh? No. My nephew is going to hire the son of one of my employees and pay him more than I think is fair. Oh, he's just trying to upstage me. It's all about me. Me, 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 me. It is the duty of both sexual partners to be proactive about safe sex. But in reality, too often this burden falls disproportionately on women. Give me a break. Shame on you. What a low-down, dishonorable, dishonest, weak thing to say. Here's safe sex for you. I'm going to break this down for you. I'll take a sip of my coffee first. Here's how you have safe sex. Get a job. And when you find a gal, make sure she's got decent character and she's someone you can lead and love and ask her to be your wife. And make sure that before the good Lord, you both have an understanding of what it is that you're committing to. You're prepared for that mentally and emotionally. And I don't mean if you realize you're not, you just say, okay, well, I guess when I'm 35 and I haven't anything more to accomplish in my career as I see it, then I'll settle down. If I realize that I'm not quite ready yet, then we'll just fool around and I'll go over to her place every now and then and she'll come over to my place every now and then and maybe we'll live together for a while and then when I find somebody else more interesting, I'll move on or she'll move on. No. Make sure you're actually mentally, emotionally ready, spiritually ready by studying, by applying yourself, by working out your mind, by thinking about these things, by being very intentional, having these conversations with the girl in question. And then get married. Get married and have sex with your wife. Sorry, cover your ears, children. If you're just tuning in, we're talking about safe sex.
Here's safe sex for you. Have sex with your wife. But you have to have a wife. So find a good wife and make sure you're going to be a good husband. And make sure you're going to love her and protect her and cherish her and live with her in an understanding way. And love her more than you love yourself. Love her like you are loving yourself. If you're as committed to her as you are to yourself, you'll be doing okay. But don't bring this we talk in every time there's responsibility and leave all that we talk at the door when it comes to what you want, what pleases you. You think first of what is it that she needs under God. So what does God want of me? What does God say about marriage? What does God say about my purpose in life? Why am I here? Why is she here? What is her purpose in life? What does he say in his word about who he is and who we are, what it means to be created in his image, where this is all going, what the point is? Get married in that context with a view to life. That's longer term. I'm going to be married to you for the rest of my life. You're going to be married to me for the rest of our lives. And I want to treat you like that. I want to treat you like we're going to be married for the rest of our lives. Like I'm taking care of you. You know, if you had a car and you were expecting a brand new car, this is the only car I'm ever going to get. How would you take care of it? How would you clean it and take it in for service and change the oil and change the brakes and change the tires and rotate the tires? How would you protect your car if you expected that was the only car you were ever going to have for the rest of your life? If you had a smartphone, that was it. One smartphone, and then that's all you get ever, forever. Doesn't matter if a new one comes out with better features as you see it. Doesn't matter if you crack the screen. It doesn't matter if you drop it. Like that one smartphone, that's it. That's all you get. So choose wisely. How much more careful with your smartphone would you be? And unfortunately, tragically, I think... Many of us take better care of our vehicles and our smartphones than we do our marriage or prospective marriage. Maybe you're not married yet and you're interacting with people of the opposite gender and you're starting to think of these things and develop some kind of a conception of them. And you should be thinking, I get one by God's design. Not to say other extenuating circumstances couldn't come up. If I get hit by a bus tomorrow, I hope and I pray that the good Lord sends someone to my wife to take care of her, take her under his wing. For instance, 34 going on 35, seven children with an eighth on the way. I don't intend to get hit by a bus tomorrow, by the way, but supposing I did, that would be an exception. But otherwise, supposing I don't get hit by a bus tomorrow and I live for another 50, 60 years, that's it. I had a safety meeting yesterday morning and the manager conducting the safety meeting drew attention to me and another guy who had just started and asked us to stand up and introduce ourselves. Who are we? What's our name? Say something about ourselves. 
I stand up first. Hi, my name is Garrett Mullet. I've been working in the oil and gas industry for nearly a decade. I'm really happy to be here. I'm going to be working primarily on the Chevron account and yada, yada, yada. And I'm about to sit down. And the manager says, oh, you know, why don't you tell them something interesting about yourself? Like, uh, how many kids do you have? I said, we have seven children, six boys and a girl. And I added Nathan on the way. Wow, right? Eyes get big, all these, mostly young men. The eyes get big, whoa, wow. Are you done yet? (laughs) Well, for now, like, we're due next month, so I think we'll take a little bit of an intermission at least. If we're done, done for now and forever, and that's, this is all the children we're ever going to have, that's fine. I didn't wax eloquent about it. I just kept it short and sweet. Smiled, grinned. Yeah, maybe one of you guys can tell Garrett where babies come from, if any of you guys understand that. I don't know if he's got it figured out. Yeah, actually, I do have it figured out, by the way. Would you like me to make that the new safety meeting topic? We're talking about safe sex, by the way, if you're just tuning in. My wife and I decided very early in our marriage that we were very disturbed by the way that children are regarded in our culture. I find it nauseating that very often children are seen as something like a trophy or a pet. If it were marriage and you were just marrying some handsome guy with a nice fat salary and a big house and a shiny car, he were just your trophy husband, that would be gross. And if you were marrying some hot young number with blonde hair and a rockin' body, and that's all she was to you, was just arm candy, a trophy wife, that would be gross to me. When we have one or two children, we buy them the best of everything, and we put them in the best of schools, and we want them to be the best athletes and the best minds and win at everything and get participation trophies or else we freak out and lose our minds. Not my little Johnny, not my little Susie. My little Johnny and Susie are perfect, and everything they do is correct, quite correct, because it's a reflection on me, and I can't cope with the idea that maybe I'm not doing a phenomenal job all the time. That's gross also. Trophy husband, trophy children, trophy wife, it's all the same. It's gross. So also, the idea that children are a nuisance is unnecessary. Children get to be a nuisance when we don't train them, we don't love them, we don't nurture them, we don't lead them, we don't discipline them. Yeah, they can be downright awful because they're people with a sinful nature. But for the grace of God, there go we also. Some of us, when we don't get discipline and training or when we are raised to be little trophy children, we grow up thinking that it's all about us, just like it was all about our parents. Our parents raised us with a very self-absorbed, self-serving, I can do no wrong, my children can do no wrong sort of mindset, and then we grow up and we never grow out of it, train up a child in the way he should go. When he's older, he won't depart from it. 
and that's gross. And saying, one or two children, starting when I'm in my 30s, and then we're done, just enough to where I can make a statement. I can check that box. I can self-actualize. It's all about me. I think that's gross. And I think that's not healthy. When I say gross, I mean, I think there's something tainted about that, attitudinally, spiritually. And it's not my place to judge if somebody has one or two children. Maybe they're extenuating circumstances. It's not selfishness. I, I don't know. That's between them and the good Lord. But as for me, in my house and my wife and my relationship, we look at Roe v. Wade in 1973 legalizing abortion on the premise that a woman has the right to do with her body whatever she wants. Now, my body, my choice falls flat when it comes to vaccine mandates, mask mandates, because we recognize then, well, hey, wait a second, what your body does and how that impacts other people's bodies, it's a little more complicated. But then because we can't see, we're like the foolish child that I was when I was three years old and I was supposed to be taking a nap and I closed my eyes as I was going down the stairs because I was going to sneak around my mother, sneak past her and her friend who were having coffee, chatting on my way to the basement to watch TV and play with my Legos. Closed my eyes, walked down the stairs and I fell down the stairs because I couldn't see where I was going. But I thought if I couldn't see where I was going, if my eyes were closed, my mom wouldn't be able to see me either. But that's not how it works. An unborn child in the womb, just because you can't see them, does not mean that they don't exist. My seventh son, Andrew Matthias Mullet, is incubating right now. My dear sweet wife is pregnant, due the third week in January, just around the corner. Andrew Matthias Mullet is a person made in the image of God. He exists, he is real. He is a real person right now. He does not suddenly become a person on the day he's born. He is a person right now. He could be born today, but if he's not born today, he's still a person. If he's born a month from now instead of today, he's still a person today. I remember my wife and I coming across abort73.com, learning what abortion was, Early in our marriage, I think she was pregnant with our firstborn son. We didn't have strong views on this ourselves before that. I don't think. I certainly didn't. I kind of knew what abortion was, but then I go to abort73.com and I'm looking at it and I'm just horrified. Like, what? Like, how many millions? And that's a picture of what happens. This is what the result of an abortion is. And some squeamish man baby who lives in his parents' basement at 28 years old and has sex with women and then respects their right to have an abortion because it's very self-serving, very convenient for him, will say, well, I don't want to see what abortion is. That's gross. That's you. I don't need to see that. No. No, let's change the subject. But we looked at it. We had the courage to look at it and let our hearts be broken by what abortion is. And I remember thinking to myself, there's something so very, very badly broken 
about the way that we see God, about what it means to us that we are made in his image. There's something very, very badly broken about the way we approach marriage and sex and having children. And I don't want us to have that attitude and I don't want us to have that mindset and I don't want us to go with the flow and I don't want us to just do whatever the culture around us is doing because the culture around us is dead and dying, okay? And the goal at the outset, we joked, was to have 20 children. It wasn't really, like we didn't really mean we wanted to have 20 children necessarily. But it's like in It's a Wonderful Life when George Bailey asks Mary when they're out on a date after the high school dance party, holiday party, Christmas party, whatever. They're walking home. He's walking her home. He asks her, what do you want, Mary? You want the moon? I'll throw a lasso around it. Pull it down for you. Then you can eat it. And then moonbeams will shoot out of your fingertips and your and he's not literally going to lasso the moon and bring it down and she's not literally literally going to eat the moon or anything crazy like that it's a figure of speech right it's a way of trying to say like we're shooting for the moon I want to give you anything that would make you happy and so my wife and I we said if we have 20 children okay and all the while I said from the outset we have no children sometimes that happens and let's be good stewards of having no children and figure out what it is that the good lord has for us to do instead and if god gives us one or two children and then we're done for some reason then let's be content with that let's have the right mindset that's the big idea i want to have a biblical view i want to honor god with our view and i want our view and our attitude to be in accordance with reality and with truth and with beauty with goodness and for it to be something that however long I live, if I'm an old man sitting in a rocking chair, I don't have a pang of regret on that issue at least when the ghost of Christmas past comes to visit me, take me back to when I was in my early 20s navigating these things. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Jesus asks. And the answer is rhetorical. Nothing, actually. Nothing. I should rather have my soul intact. I hope and I pray to God that the Supreme Court of these United States overturns the wicked, wrong-headed, foolish, evil, corrupt, destructive, genocidal decision of Roe versus Wade from 1973. I hope we can put an end once and for all to the wholesale slaughter of our own children because we can't be bothered. I hope we can put an end to that wicked way of relating to God and to one another. I got to leave it there, though. I got to run. It's a Friday. I need to go to work. As always, thank you for listening. Until next time, God bless.
You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com. Thank you.